We thank you for who you are. We praise you for who you are this morning. And may oh, the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing, acceptable in your sight, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, I'm about to give you uh, some information. The information that I am about to share with you is um, only known to a few people in my life. So I want to say up front, this is not an invitation to use this information inappropriately, okay? <laughs> so I don't want practical jokes or like nicknames about this information. So I'm giving you very precious information. So my, um, my family, my parents, we do a lot of hosting, a lot of hospitality, a lot of parties at our house growing up. Sometimes um, I think that my dad thinks that we're aristocracy, kind of like Downton Abbey. And so we have like multiple courses and all this fancy china. And then we have to remind him that um, we don't have a staff, like we're the staff. So, <laughs> so it's, not, it's not that we are actual royalty. We're, we're preparing this and doing all this and giving all this um, and, and doing all the work ourselves. But we did a lot of hospitality. We, they, they still do, obviously, I, I live here. But they still do tons, tons of hosting, tons of opening their doors to strangers even, um, opening their homes to to their community of friends and their community of faith. And um, it was a huge part of my existence, huge part of my life, and it's a, just a, a huge value in our family. And so uh, I, there, there can be some times when, you know, I have a lot of different friends from a lot of different backgrounds, uh, a lot of different political views, a lot of different faith views, and when they all get in a, a, the same room, say it's like my birthday or you know some event that they're coming and, and all these different people are coming um, because, because they all know me, um, if some of them are more vocal than others and if some of them like confrontation more than others, what happens is I turn into what some people affectionately call poodle Beth. So I kind of turn into like an anxious poodle. And I'm like, no, what, what, no, 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 we don't talk, no, what, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. And it's this, and it's like, what state am I in? What sports team do we talk about? Is the weather being weird right now? Is, and so I turn into this like, because I don't want confrontation in the hospitable environment. I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. I don't want anyone to remember that time as like, oh yeah, like one of those people confronted me and was rude to me. And so I, I, I become, if something is brewing and there's tension in the air, I become like poodle, like poodle Beth. Um, only a few friends <laughs> recognize this and will point this out. It's very funny when it happens. Um, so Poodle Beth, this brings us to Abraham. Seamless transition. <laughs> Seamless transition to Abraham. Let's read Genesis 18, 1 through 15 together. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Something to note. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Something else to note. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my lords, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. Then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant speaking of himself. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three uh, seas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice and tender calf, gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared. He set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. Also something to note. Uh, there, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, no, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did. Because <laughs> I heard you. <laughs> it's hard to get, I mean, if you're in the very presence of the Lord, it's hard to get away with lying, right? Um, all right, so from the previous chapters, let's, let's go back a little bit, look at, look at the context of this a little bit. So if we remember from previous chapters, God has told Abraham, you will be blessed um, you are favored, you will be the father of many nations, even though he had no children at the time and no land and was wandering around. And then he said, you will be a blessing to others, okay? So he uses the word blessing multiple times in his relationship with Abraham and in the promise. So this word implies that God wants good things for you. He regards you with affection and favor. And specifically in this culture, you were blessed if you had land and descendants, okay? So we know that. We've talked about that for the last few weeks. By the time we get to chapter 18 and these three visitors come, years, years have gone by. We're not exactly sure how many, but by this time, Sarah is 90, Abraham is 100. Years and years have gone by. They're an old couple, and they have seen multiple threats to God's promise. The first one being chapters ago, a famine. So he obeys God, he, go, you know, he starts traveling and then there's this famine and, has to, and then he has to be derailed and go somewhere else. And then there's the, uh, the times that he feels threatened and so he offers up his wife to the Pharaoh so that they, the Pharaoh doesn't kill them. Um, not, not super good on, on his part. And then there's the... Um, uh, the time that him and Lot, his, his beloved family, have to separate. And Lot takes the better land. And Abraham's like, okay, I'll, I'll give you that better land. Um, still no child after all of this wandering, all of these years. And so to the untrusting, trust, by the way, is another word for belief and faith, according to Dallas Willard. Belief, faith, trust. So to the untrusting, it could seem like God is an imposter, like he's a charlatan. Why have I believed this, this entity that has told me to do all of these things that don't make any sense, promised me something, it's now decades, our bodies don't work that way anymore. To the untrusting, this seems absurd. Okay, so I have to figure this out on my own. So there's Many ways that he tries to have a descendant, tries to have a son on his own because he's still thinking about the promise. Well, he said that I would be a father of many nations and so he's not really bringing that about so I'm gonna have to do it on my own. How many times do we do that? Like in a week, how many times do we do that? I'm gonna have to do this on my own. Okay, so within the culture of that time, within the customs of that time, he tried to get a son on his own, you know, through through adoption, through an, a concubine, through, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways that would have been perfectly acceptable in that culture and in that time to have a descendant. That wasn't the promise. That wasn't God's direction. And then in between all of these episodes where he's trying to do it on his own, he's trying to make it come about on his own, God keeps visiting him. And, he, and the, the beginning of chapter 16, God steps in and says, do not be afraid, Abraham. He keeps stepping in, not with the voice of, I told you not to do this. Not with the voice of, you disobedient man. He keeps stepping in with this voice of, don't be afraid. Please remember. Please remember what I told you. I want the best for you. Not settling for all these other ways, I want the best for you. You are favored. You are special. You are different. Don't be afraid, Abraham. 
So every time Abraham sees God or meets with God, he builds an altar, right? He builds an Ebenezer. And, and, and then for a while, they go, uh, they go along fine. And then Abraham, oh gosh, it's been years again. I got to figure this out on my own. So, um, <laughs> so last week, we talked about the cutting of the covenant. That was one of the huge, huge manifestations of God in the life and the story of Abraham, where, where it's this miraculous like manifestation of a fire pot literally floating in the air, walking through the carcasses and making this covenant. So remember, God entered into the customs of that day to what Abraham would understand and said, Okay, let's do this. Let's do this ritual. Let's do this thing that you'd under, that you would understand, but I'm going to flip it. And I am going to show you how different I am and how Okay, so that was last week, right? So there's been these incredible manifestations of the presence of God, and now Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. And he's sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Let's look at it this way. Let's look at the entire story of Abraham as there's a promise from God. The promise is threatened. What do Abraham and Sarah do? So that's what keeps, you know, <laughs> it's good writing, y'all. It's the Bible. That's what keeps us engaged. That's what keeps us turning the pages. It's good writing. There's a promise from this great entity, the promise is threatened, and now we have to watch how they react to the promise being threatened year after year after year. So I wonder if um, some of us can find ourselves in this story. There's something that we know to be true, something that we know that God says about us, something that we know that we've read in scripture that really resonates with us, something that we know about ourselves that um, Jesus has, has given us, a promise, maybe even a promise. I mean, we all have promises from God. They're all over scripture. But even a specific personal promise that the Lord has given us that's taking a long time to manifest. How many of us have seen ourselves in this kind of waiting? Go ahead and raise your hands because you are not alone. Look at that. This kind of waiting where there's a promise from God and we can't see it manifest. It's been years and years and we try to figure it out on our own. This is what has happened when these three visitors come to Abraham, who, by the way, were sent by God's grace to confirm his promise. Do we fully believe or is our belief distorted. Even when we have seen God in the holy places, even when we have seen God miraculously intervene in our lives or the lives of our loved ones, how soon do we forget and try to figure it out on our own? Do we fully believe or is our belief a little distorted? And do we believe that Jesus interacts with us in our day-to-day lives. I can get pretty shaky in that conviction. I don't know about you. So there are some things to notice in chapter 18 that I want to point out before we go into some application about what this means for our lives. So in chapter 18, if, you, um, if, you're, if you're looking, if you've got your Bible out or your Bible app, um, I, would, I would circle some of these things. I would highlight some of these things. I would make some notes in the margins. Sometimes when we read or try to study the Old Testament, um, we get lost and confused in the action of the story because it is so foreign to what we would think is acceptable or normal in our culture. It is so, so foreign um, to, to anything that we would think is okay. And so there's two tips that I use a lot. Here are two tips for the Old Testament, studying the Old Testament. Um, because, by the way, it's the same God in the Old Testament as the New Testament. Uh, so here's two tips. One, don't ask the question, what is God doing? That's not the point. Let's ask instead, 
why was this recorded? Because God was entering into the culture of the time so that the people could understand, the people could receive him um, in, in their culture, in their customs, and then he said, wait, 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 but this is different. I am different. I want something different for you. Okay, so not, not asking, what is God doing? But asking, why was this recorded? There's something important here that God would have this story recorded. Another one is reading these narratives through the lens of the new covenant. We are people of the new covenant. We are people of the death and resurrection and victory of Jesus Christ. And so now we can read the Old Testament through that lens, through the lens of Jesus, Savior, knowing that he came, knowing that that was God's plan all along through the Old Testament. So two, those are two great tips for studying, reading the Old Testament. And so the appearance of God to Abraham, so now we're talking about chapter 18, seems to have um, more freedom and more familiarity um, in this interaction. And so it starts off with God visiting Abraham at the tent, and then he sees the three visitors. So this interaction that he's having with the Lord here is very um, familiar. It doesn't have the grand, like, majesty and the mystery and the, sort of the miraculous that we've seen in, in other manifestations of God in Abraham's life. It's very familiar. There's a peace to it. There's a comfort to it. It's conversational. What does that tell us about God? Um, so as we read the Old Testament in the lens of Je- through the lens of Jesus Christ, when we see something like that, what does it point to? Does it point to this very God is going to put on flesh and come walk among us and be face-to-face friends with us? So that's, that's one thing to notice, that this, this relationship after years and years following this God and ups and downs and manifestations and doubts and miraculous things happening. Now there's this, there's this comfort. There's this freedom in their relationship, which is actually pointing to the freedom that we're going to have in relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. Why was he sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day? That's, that's, that's not the shady spot. That's not inside the tent where there is some shelter from the heat of the day. This points to a major, major custom in that time, the custom of hospitality. So he is, he's in relationship with God. By this time, he knows things about God and knows things about himself. And he is, he is openly and actively waiting for people to come that he might be a blessing to them. Remember the promise? So, hospitality. Also, when he sees them, forgetting his age, 100 years old, is Oral here today? <laughs> 100 years old, there she is. Oral, how would, you, how would you feel about running out to your guests and getting down on your knees and bowing before them? <laughs> I know. Um, Oral is 101, is that right? Yeah, Uh (laughs) so he forgets his age. He forgets even his station in life. He was quite wealthy and he runs out to these guests and he says, may I be your servant? Can I be your servant? Not only does that show true hospitality, the kind of hospitality that's talked about all over scripture, who else does that remind you of? Jesus, correct. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you have to be the least. Wow, wow. When you start reading the Old Testament stories through this lens, you see Jesus on every page. One more thing. Why were Sarah and Abraham waiting so long for this child? Why 
did God allow this? Why was God making them wait decade after decade after decade into old age, past childbearing years? So we see this a lot throughout scripture. We see um, a barren woman pleading in the temple every day. We see, um, uh, let's see, uh, Rachel, who, who eventually finally had Joseph. Um, we see Hannah. We see Elizabeth, who eventually had John the Baptist, right? And then we see Mary. In every instance, a miraculous birth. Mary didn't have to wait too long, obviously, but it was still a miraculous birth. All of these other women, these stories of barren women that we hear about where God visited them and said, don't worry, don't be afraid, you will have a child. I will fulfill this, this desire and this longing. Every time, it was a child who was a very important figure in God's redemption story. It encourages God's people throughout the ages to remember to wait for the fulfillment of the actual promise and not settle for counterfeit not settle for what's not his best and what he, he not settle for um, something that he doesn't want for you. Um, it, it's, it, so it's incredible that we see this throughout scripture. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that this, this bit of it was, was recorded. It's the first time that God uses this story, the 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 childless couple or the childless woman to show his people that he will fulfill promises and that you can wait and be patient and trust and believe and have faith. So how do we continue to believe, to fully believe, to fully have faith through the waiting? Like Abraham, we all have our seasons that um, our full unbridled faith in God's promise is tested. Right? We've already raised our hands. We've already testified to that. We all have seasons, and even in our, in, in our journey, multiple seasons where our full unbridled faith is not on display and our doubts and our where are you and our waiting is on display. How do we respond in those times? Do we respond in rebellion? Uh, do we respond in apathy, which is kind of like a, a numbing out? Or do we respond in patience? Do we respond through perseverance? Do we respond in, here's a good one, in a renewal of spiritual practices? Do we respond in pressing into our community? Do we lean on each other when we're having these seasons of waiting? Hmm. Here is one definition of faith um, or belief for us from Dallas Willard. So I wanna kind of put this as an umbrella over the next um, few ideas here. So faith or belief equals reliance and trust that is revealed in our action and attitude. So if our faith is being tested by waiting or our full belief is being tested by waiting, Faith is actually measured or revealed in our attitude and our action. So I think a lot of us have more faith than we think we do. A lot of us have more belief than we think we do. Because if it's, if it's measured by attitude and action, well, okay, yeah. I mean, if, we're, if we still go to church, if we're still praying, if we're still pressing into our friendships, hey, I'm really having a difficult time. If we're still waiting patiently, if we haven't gone off in rebellion and joined the circus, um, I think a lot of us have more faith than we think we do. And so when our, um, when our countenance is lifted in full belief, our actions and our demeanor, our demeanor show it, but even when our faith is being tested and our actions and our demeanor still show faith, who sees it? God sees it first and foremost. Others see it, so it's a, it's a testimony to other believers. It builds faith of others. 
and the enemy sees it. And the enemy knows that his power in your life is diminishing. Because if you're still revealing faith and attitude and action, even though you're waiting, he knows, oh man, I don't have as many open doors here to get through, right? So I wanna present an interesting idea today. This, this did not come to me intuitively. This was not like, oh, I know exactly what I'm gonna be preaching on. I know exactly what the application is. This, this came to me through really sitting with the Holy Spirit and really, really trying to listen because I'm like, I just can't. I don't know where this is connected, God. I don't know. So I really, really was sitting um, seeking and sitting with the Holy Spirit for this. And so in this story, in chapter 18, with these three visitors, Abraham is practicing beautiful hospitality. Sacrificial, yes, sacrificial, yes, but not sacrificial begrudgingly. It was truly coming from a happy heart, a happy heart to come on in, come on in. We'll kill you know, the best calf and we'll make some fresh bread and please have some water, please rest, please let me be your servant. This is beautiful hospitality. It was coming, and they were strangers, and it was coming from a happy heart, okay? Practicing beautiful hospitality here. But we know that we know the years and years of struggle with faith that he has been through, that have come before. And yet, he waits at the entrance of his tent with expectation. With expectation. He's practicing his faith. His action and his attitude is showing that there is faith, that he is, he is waiting in expectation for God to appear, for something to happen. He pours out in humble service, in hospitality, and God gives him another gift. An even more specific gift. A date that Sarah will give birth to a son. Years and years, decades and decades have gone by, but he is practicing faith through hospitality, and God says, guess what, now here's another, another manifestation, another gift of my presence. You have a date now. In a year's time, Sarah will have a son. The promise is coming to fulfillment. Hallelujah. So, friends, I think that hospitality and full belief are connected. To recognize Christ in our everyday life, to have that full belief that he is present and working and moving in our everyday life, believe that he is engaged in a personal way, to recognize that, we have to make room. That's hospitality. We have to look for him. We have to make room for him. We have to invite him. That's hospitality. In order to live a full, full faith, a full belief, we have to make room. And here it is just flipped, inviting Jesus into our everyday life and believing that he is there is hospitality. So think about Genesis 12. Think about Abraham's promise from God. He will be blessed and he will be a blessing. He will be blessed because he's with me. He's with God. And he will be a blessing. Full belief, full faith, I think is, is intimately connected with hospitality. Look at um, Hebrews. I think we've got a couple scriptures here for you to look at. Hebrews 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Some translations say angels in disguise. That Hebrews passage is pointing 
to this Abraham story in Genesis 18. He was entertaining divine, these, these men were there on divine assignment from God to bless Abraham, to give him encouragement, and to give him a gift that the fulfillment of the promise is coming. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. That's 13, one through three. So that's all, that, that hospitality and that um, bearing one another's burdens, that all points back to this story in Abraham. And then in 16, it goes on. And do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That is making room. If you're making room for God's people, you're making room for God. If you're making room for the least of these, you're making room for Jesus. And then we've got 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4 starting at verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I know um, during the holidays when we get together with in-laws, there's a lot of hospitality going on. It might not be without grumbling. (laughs) Come on, somebody. All right, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Hospitality, faith. Hospitality, full belief. Hospitality, making room, service, is then pointing to God. And then God is being praised. And then it's all one big bundle of joy. <laughs> right? There's one, one more scripture that I want to point out that, that um, talks about this, but it flips it a little bit. It's, pro, it's in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 23, 6 through 8, and it's, it's more like a warning. So these are, these are kind of edifying encouragements, you know, these other ones that we've just read. But in Proverbs, it says, do not eat the food of a begrudging host. <laughs> do not crave those delicacies, for he's the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. I mean, that's, that's pretty strong. That's, <laughs> I don't know if I knew the word vomit was in the Bible. Um, it is, it's right there, Proverbs 23. Uh, do not eat the food of a begrudging host uh, because it's, it's almost like poison to you. That's, that's the warning. That's, I think that's how intimately hospitality and faith are connected. If you're going to partake of hospitality that is counterfeit, it, it's actually going to do the opposite to your faith. Your compliments will be wasted and you're actually going to get sick. Man, there's a clip that I want to look at from a movie that came out a few years ago. Most of you will recognize it, but... Uh, it, it shows this principle very well. And as we, we turn off the lights and we load up the clip, uh, don't worry, nothing's wrong. It just takes a few seconds. <laughs> Excuse me. Why are you crying? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. What is a bowl of milk? Nothing. 
But kindness makes it everything. I don't mean to hurry you, but you really haven't got long, Ella. How do you know me? Who are you? Who am I? I should think you'd have worked that one out. I'm your hairy dog father. I'm your fairy godmother. <laughs> you can't be. Why not? They don't exist. They're just made-up children. Didn't your own mother believe in them? Don't say no, because I heard her. You heard her. Oh, fiddle, faddle, fiddle, faddle. Right, first things first. Let me slip into something more comfortable. Oh my goodness. Did you did you hear when she said when she said, Oh, it's nothing? And the fairy godmother said, It's nothing. Just a bowl of milk. Oh. But kindness makes it everything. And uh, I, I think most of you know this is Cinderella. Spoiler alert. Uh, Cinderella was, was crying. She was in distress. She had just been abused and assaulted. And, and all of that goes away the second this stranger asks for something. She gives it with a glad heart, even though, I mean, I would have been terrified. Like, what? <laughs> that's, like, that's like Oscar the Grouch coming out of my garbage. Like, that's, I would have been, I would have been terrified. And she's like, oh, oh my goodness, someone needs something. Okay, yeah, here, here you go. Oscar the Grouch is from Sesame Street. There's some youngins here. Um, <laughs> so I know, I know. You always get picked on. Um, yeah, so, so that, was, that was Abraham's story in 18. That was, oh, oh, can I, please, can I please help you? Can I please serve you? And then she, just like Abraham, she was given this gift. She was given this gift. You will be transformed, and you get to go to the ball. And the same thing as we, as we look forward in our faith and we look forward into the new covenant, it's the same thing with Jesus. Oh, he incarnated to offer us hospitality. He came and put on flesh and gave up all of his power, well, not all of his power, but his, his kingly rights, he gave them up to make room for us. Um, there's a, a, a priest named uh, George Congreve, Father George Congreve. He, he, he wrote a lot. His theology is deeply rooted in the mystery of, of the incarnation, of, of Jesus becoming a man. And he, he really had the ability to see God revealed in the people and the creation around him. So he really had this, this specific lens of like seeing the incarnation everywhere. Hallelujah. And he says this, if we are to have Jesus our friend, so Jesus, personal, everyday life, cares about everyday life. If we are to have Jesus our friend, we must know him to be continually near. The companionship of Jesus. It is strange how many there are who look forward to being with him in another world, but never think of living fellowship with him here. It is strange how many there are who look forward to being with him in another world, but never think of living fellowship with him here. So how do we recognize Christ in everyday life? You might be in a season of waiting, um, or you might not be, but if you are, uh, if you are not, you will be at some point in the future. It's, it's going to happen again. Um, we wait every week for the weekend. You're in a season of waiting every week, right? Um, so active waiting, there is such a thing in the kingdom of God 
Active waiting means to be fully present in the moment, knowing that something is happening, like it's brewing, and something is going to happen. Um, There's a a Jewish writer that I really like named Simon Veal, and he says, waiting Uh, He says, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of spiritual life. Waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of spiritual life. Waiting includes faith. That is the kind of waiting that allows us to live in a very chaotic world, a very unsure world, and survive spiritually active waiting, waiting with faith. So here are some, here are some tools. Um, the daily examine is one tool. It is, uh, we practice this as a staff. I practice this in my small groups and then I practice this in my daily life. And so it is a, a prayer tool that you can use at the end of every day. And some people uh, say consolation versus desolation. Some people say high-low. What was the highlight of your day? What was the low point of your day? I like to ask, where did you feel the most connected to God today? And where did you feel the furthest from God today? I also like to ask, what was the most life-giving part of your day? And what was the most draining part of your day? The reason that we do this is that we start to see patterns. First of all, it invites Jesus into our everyday life, we're making room, we're practicing hospitality with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and then we start to recognize how much he is present in our everyday life. Oh, that time today at the grocery store, the most life-giving moment of my day, at the grocery store, I, I witnessed somebody struggling to get their cart and their kids and their door and their, and I got to help them. I got to be Jesus to them. I got to make room for them in my life. And then Jesus made room for me because it was the most life-giving part of my day. That's practicing the daily exam. And it, it can take 10 minutes. I mean, you can take an hour, but it can take 10 minutes. What was the best part? What was the part that you felt the closest to the Lord? When did you feel the furthest from the Lord? Um, There's many, many different ways to practice this. If you look up daily examine, you will see myriad ways. And so it's about becoming aware of God's presence and asking God to bring clarity to the end of your day. Like let, let all the noise fade away. God, what are these two things? that you want me to know today. So you're reviewing the day with gratitude, both what went well and what might have come up short. You are paying attention to your emotions. That's hard for some of of us. You're paying attention to your emotions. Um, You know, God speaks to us through our emotions. Our emotions point to something. Uh, So we're paying attention to our emotions. What is God saying through those feelings? And then you're choosing these, these two points of your day and really inviting God into them. Has anyone read 1,000 Gifts, Ann Voskamp? Um, yeah, that was very popular a few years back. Uh, she, if, if you want a book to, <laughs> for, that is helpful to recognize how God is in the everyday, that is the book to get. She, she writes about the iridescence of a soap bubble and that is God to her for that day. So there are ways that we can start to practice this and we can get better at seeing Christ in our everyday life. And then that spurs on our full faith. Um, scripture is another way to do this. And then um, specifically Lexio Divina. I know we've practiced that on stage during our service a couple times. And we have um, one of our discipleship hour classes are are practicing Lexio Divina together. It's just a way to read scripture where um, it's very personal with you and God. You can look up Lexio Divina. Um, Another way to press in, to see Jesus working in your everyday life is community. Community life groups, our kingdom life communities, um, pressing into those that God has put in your life as brothers and sisters. They 
are there. This is what the body is for. They are there when you are in periods of waiting and you are in periods where you're not in full faith and you're in kind of a distorted belief. Their faith is there to bolster you and to help you. Pressing into community. Listen, friends, God's presence manifests to those who wait for him and look for him. Believing, it's, I, I've said this, it's not something as difficult or super spiritual as, as I think we, th- so I believe that my car is going to get me home while well, I drove a bus today. I believe that that bus is going to get me home today, even though I'm not sitting in it, it's not running. I have full faith that that bus is gonna get me home today. I have full faith that when we leave this building, this roof is not going to collapse. Thank you, Jesus. Um, because I have full faith in the architects, in the materials, in the physics, in the carpentry, uh, even though those people are not here, and even though when we leave, you know, I'm not, I'm not watching it throughout the night, there's full faith that this roof is not going to collapse. So we, you know, we practice faith every day. There isn't a way to, exca- to escape it. We make plans for the future. So we have, a, we have faith that there's gonna be another week or there's gonna be another month. God's presence manifests to those who wait for him and look for him. Um, this is uh, from a book called Friend of My Heart by Claire Blatchford. I, I recommend it and it's called, it's, it's about seeing Jesus in the everyday. And she says, I have heard of people who met him unexpectedly in near death experiences or during illnesses or at a crossroads in their lives. Some of these people saw him and heard him, while others, the experience was less direct, but no less meaningful. For example, they heard his voice or sensed his presence in the words or deeds of a friend or a stranger, hospitality. I have also read of people meeting him because they earnestly desired it. Whether we are conscience, conscious or not of wanting to meet him, I believe his wish for the encounter is always present. But he never forces himself upon us. I have always felt complete respect from him for my freedom, both inner and outer. So God's presence manifests to those who wait for him and look for him. That's part of hospitality. But I also want to say God is a guest worth entertaining. He He is the guest to entertain. And as you're pressing into community or you're opening up your home in hospitality, it's he's there. It's all about him. He's a blessing to us and we are to be a blessing to others. God is a guest worth entertaining. There's there's one more way that I wanna mention to see Jesus in our everyday and to practice a full belief, a full faith that Jesus is involved in our everyday. And that is with the Eucharist, that is with communion. And we are gonna celebrate that now. So the elders can come forward. Jesus always waits for us at the altar. He always waits for us in communion. He always waits for us in this holy meal that he set up for us because he knew we would need it. He knows humans. He knew we would need something to come back to that's tangible week after week, day after day, month after month. So he continually accompanies us along this pilgrimage, um, loving us and comforting us and guiding us. Um, He continuously is with us, and so I want us to look for him in the meal today. Look for his presence beside you, his presence within you. His presence beside you could be in another person that's laying their hand on you because they know you need it. His presence within you could be the voice, his voice of the Holy Spirit that's prompting you Hey, we should look about we should look at that. We should think about that. We should wrestle with that. So look 
listen, open your emotions, open your hearts, attune yourself to him in full faith because he waits for us. He practices hospitality in this meal every day, every time we come to this meal, he is making room. He is practicing hospitality so that we may have full faith in our waiting. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed when he took the bread, broke it in front of his disciples. Remember, this was Passover. So they, this, this was a little bit different from the regular ritual, which is what we just read about in Abraham. Taking a ritual that they understood and changing it and saying, hey, this is different, this is important. So he took the bread and he broke it in front of them and he said, this is my body. That's, that's gonna be broken for you. That is broken for you. So eat it in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine and the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. So drink it in remembrance of me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, everything is prepared. You can come and enjoy the hospitality of Jesus um, as we step into full faith. Amen. of Jesus Christ No shadow remains for shame to hide 